Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krause explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hey, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. We frequently receive questions from some of our members and guests about physicians who are kind of looking for an alternate pathway for their career. When we go through medical school and residency, we're really taught how to be doctors in the office, in the hospital, but there are so many other options out there. So today, I'm very lucky to have Dr. Narissa Crayer, and she actually made the transition from being a pediatric endocrinologist to CMO of a biotech company. So we're going to kind of hear about her career path, and she's going to give us some ideas of, you know, things that you might look into pathways that you might want to check out as far as getting the right background if you want to pursue an alternate career. So welcome to the show, Narissa. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I am too. So I guess let's start at the beginning. How did you make that transition from being a clinical pediatric endocrinologist into going into, you know, the pharmaceutical biotech industry? Well, at first it was actually a necessity. Oh, <laughs> I was not planning this as my career. My goal was to be an academic clinical researcher. So oh. I didn't have clinical research as part of my career plan, but not in the biotech or pharma world. And when I moved to the Boston area for family reasons and the academic clinical research job that I thought I had was cut. Oh, so I found myself, yes, in a, you know, rather scary, actually, position of being out of fellowship for just a little more than a year. And I didn't have a job anymore. So I looked around at some other academic centers. I just was not able to find what I was looking for. I had offers for clinical roles. But I was really honest with myself, and I think that's the first lesson for people is really listen to, you know, your heart, your mind, and be honest about what you want in your career. You don't necessarily have to settle. And that's an important lesson I learned early on. So as I continued to look around, I actually had a sales representative from one of the biotech companies ask if she could take my resume to the company she worked for. And that's how I ended up with my first role in biotech and pharma. I feel like sometimes the most important paths we end up on just happen because of a person that we know, a conversation that we have, just happenstance, not necessarily looking out to make that move. That's right. And my son is actually a recent college graduate. And Throughout his and his sister's life, I have continued to stress to them how important their network is and building your network. Like you said, having those conversations these days with my coaching, I talk about putting it out into the universe. What are you looking for? What, what do you want? And 
that's really how this came about. I was talking to a lot of people about this situation I was in, and someone that listened was able to actually help me. So what did you have to learn? I mean, I'm assuming you had the traditional fellowship, what you would expect to learn to be a doctor, but how was that different when you moved into more of the pharmaceutical world? Sure. So I think, so the role I moved into was medical affairs. I was a medical director of medical affairs and I was supporting one of the growth hormone products. So a recombinant human growth hormone. So very familiar product to me as a pediatric endocrinologist. So I didn't have to learn all of the literature around growth hormone. I actually didn't have to learn all of the thought leaders in growth hormone because I already knew who they were, even if I didn't know them personally. I think what I really had to learn was working in an environment that in the pharma industry we would call cross-functional. So in medicine, even in a hospital or a clinic setting, we we sort of all understand what's happening, you know, what is the goal of taking care of the patient. We're using that same medical terminology, maybe at different levels. But in the pharmaceutical industry, you're talking to people who may come from a pharmacy background, but they may also come from a legal background or from a, you know, an MBA program, a sales background, a marketing background. So the important thing is having an open mind and recognizing that you have lots of information to share, but you also have lots to learn from your colleagues. And I think that's actually one of the things in the pharmaceutical industry that I've enjoyed the most is really expanding my horizons outside of only medicine. How difficult is it to make that transition from a traditional clinic hospital practice into a different role like you have? Yeah. So I think I would address that, you know, two ways. One, the emotional part of it in talking to many physicians, the biggest emotional piece is, I think, some guilt, some maybe remorse or regret about walking away from clinical practice. I could see that. Yeah. But I still have an opportunity to impact patients. It's not one-on-one -on -one necessarily, but it's impacting people in ways that it's more on a larger basis, right? I maintain that my medical background, I'm still using it every single day. So I try to talk to people about you're not walking away from something, you're using it in a different way. The actual process of making the transition is frankly not always easy for people because on average, I would say it takes people from making that decision somewhere between six to 12 months to go through the process of getting their resume in place, finding the companies to apply to and going through interview process and rejections. And that's hard for physicians because most of us are overachievers. We've accomplished whatever we wanted in our lives. And 
when you're applying for pharma roles, you're not always going to get the first one you apply for. But I do think that the reward on the other side of that hard work over six to 12 months approximately can be incredibly rewarding. And it's also worth me mentioning that, you know, I don't treat patients anymore, but I do get to interact with patients. So I've focused most of my career in rare disease drug development. And so I actually interact at patient meetings with patients and families in a very compliant manner. So there are rules and regulations that we follow, but I still get that, that family contact, that patient contact that I think is important to many physicians. So again, not walking away from anything, just walking towards something and using that medical background in a different way. Are there certain specialties that are, I guess, I'm not sure how to ask the question. Are there certain specialties that maybe have an easier transition into pharmaceutical type role like you have? It's actually a really great question. And the answer is yes. If you think about where the activity around drug development is happening, oncology, you know, there are new drugs being developed daily in the oncology arena, in the gene therapy arena. Other areas, nephrology would be one, cardiovascular. So if you think about where are those drugs being developed, the physicians that are in those specialties, it may be slightly easier for them. However, I also, when I talk to physicians, I have helped many different kinds of physicians end up in the pharma industry from family medicine to general pediatricians to internists to super subspecialists like nephrologists. So one or two different specialties might be slightly easier, but there's still room for all kinds of physician specialties in the pharma industry. And I'm sure there are a million different facets that a physician could fit into within that industry. Can you talk about maybe some of the different facets that are available to physicians? Definitely. So I have, I'll start with some of the maybe more rare stories and then go into more of the common things. I know of physicians who are actually CEOs of biotech companies. So they're leading the entire company. There are physicians who are now running business development functions and looking at what companies do we buy or what companies do we sell? And they're using their medical knowledge to influence those roles. Those are not the most common. The more common ones are drug safety, where you're looking at safety data, you're understanding what is the disease that's being treated and what are the actions of the drug and you're understanding, is it the drug or is it the disease or is it an aberrant finding that's not related to either. Then a second one would be clinical development. So you're doing clinical research. You're designing protocols, designing investigator brochures, working with clinical trial sites, the principal investigators, to help conduct actual research of drugs. And then a third common one would be where I started, medical affairs. Medical affairs is 
I think the most difficult to explain to people, because we may not, many people have not had any experience with that. When we talk about clinical research, it sort of resonates with people or drug safety. Medical affairs is an outward facing function where you are taking knowledge and information and sharing it externally with treating physicians, but also bringing back knowledge from those treating physicians into the company. So it might be a conversation about a new publication, a new study that's been done with a drug or medication. It could be asking what the next indication for a drug should be, you know, and getting physicians input on what are they seeing and where are the needs. But it is much more of an external facing role. And so those physicians in medical affairs may do a little more travel than, for example, a clinical development or drug safety physician. Would someone with like a communication and medical background be appropriate in a medical affairs type role? Absolutely. It's funny. Sometimes I'll have people say to me, well, I can't do medical affairs because I'm not an extrovert. (laughs) It's really not about being an introvert or an extrovert, but it is about being able to communicate the science and the medicine. And so anyone that, you know, comes with extra training on the communication side certainly might have a leg up there. Makes sense. For anyone who's maybe not already cemented into a clinical role in the hospital or clinic, do you have some advice for those people who are maybe in medical school or residency as to other things that they should try to learn early on to make themselves viable for this industry? Sure. So if people are considering this might be something they want to consider later in their career, I would encourage them to try to get as much exposure to clinical research as they can. Now, again, as physicians, we tend to go to the extreme, you know, a phase three pharmaceutical sponsored study. You don't necessarily have to do that kind of clinical research. It could be publishing case reports. It could be looking at retrospectives clinical studies where maybe you're looking at the natural history of a disease or disorder. If you have an opportunity to be involved in abstracts or publications, working with ethics committees or what in the U.S. we would call IRBs. So sometimes physicians have an opportunity to sit on an IRB, and in that situation, they're fully being exposed to the entire process of clinical research, and that can look really nice on a resume. That makes sense. Can we talk about the financial side of this? And I'm sure there's a huge gamut as to, you know, the type of money that you might make in this industry, but is it comparable to what a physician might make in a more traditional kind of practice? Right. So this is one that is different than what we think about in traditional medicine, where Depending on your specialty, you know, there's a very wide range of what physicians might make. True. In the pharma and biotech arena, your specialty doesn't really dictate what you're going to make. What really dictates that is the level that you are. And so we call them bands. So, for example, I started as a medical director, worked my way up, senior medical director, executive medical director, vice president. And with each layer, 
the salary band goes up. So for, for most of the more generalists, like a pediatrician or internist or even, you know, an OBGYN perhaps, the transition to the pharma industry can be very much equal. And even for some of the generalists, it can be more than what they're making in clinical practice. So it depends, right? Are you academic or are you private? But generally speaking, I typically will ballpark for people an entry role. So whether you're coming in as like a director or sometimes an associate director, it's going to fall somewhere in the 200s range. And it might be up into the 250s. And depending, again, you might bump up in even into the high 200s. Now, what's also we don't always understand, there's a bonus involved in this as well. So that's the base salary I was talking about. But there's an annual bonus, and it's usually some percentage of the base salary. You don't always get your full bonus, but it's very, very unusual that you don't. And there's also opportunity to get more than your full bonus. So if you think about, for example, a 20% bonus on top of your annual salary or a 25% bonus. And then again, as you go up through the different titles and you become more and more advanced, those percentages also rise as well. So the bonus can become a substantial part of your overarching package. I, I think also from a, com a compensation perspective, the other thing that is important for people to understand, um, it's vacation and days off. So, you know, somewhere between two to four weeks of vacation, but then also holidays, which are not counted as part of your vacation days. So I think I counted not long ago, and I think the company generally on average, the companies I've worked for over the last few years, we probably get between 18 and 20 holidays. Wow. Top of your actual paid vacation. So it's a very different lifestyle than, you know, if you're working in a practice, someone has to cover the July 4th holiday, right? Or the Christmas or Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah. And in this situation, it's not to say I don't ever work on the holidays. I would never portray it that way. But generally speaking, it's a much different, everyone is off. You might have some people that have to do some work on holidays, but you're not in this sort of rotation of a call schedule. That makes sense. If someone didn't have the natural contacts, where do you recommend that they even start looking for a position like this? Yeah. So I recommend a couple of different things. One is to sit down and brainstorm about what are the medications you're prescribing in your practice? And ideally, this is not generic drugs because the generic drugs, there's not active drug development happening. So thinking about the actively marketed drugs. So if you're a rheumatologist, what are the drugs that you're typically prescribing? That's going to give you a sense of then take those drugs and match them to the companies that are manufacturing and marketing those drugs and then you've generated a list of companies that can be your target list. And then you want to look at, do you know people at these companies? You'd be surprised if you look. And even if you don't know people, there are physicians at these companies. And 
we enjoy helping other physicians. We enjoy talking about it. So you can reach out to them. Usually I would recommend LinkedIn as the place to network. Also, maybe a little different than some physicians are, you know, not as adept at using LinkedIn, but it's a great place to network. So reach out to physicians like myself and ask to chat, ask, ask to understand what the role is. And then you can also job search on LinkedIn. So that's a really efficient place because everything is there, the networking piece and the job searching piece all in one portal. That's really good advice. Now, you work individually with physicians as well to do some coaching for people who are thinking about making that career transition, don't you? I do. I decided almost three years ago now that I could help people in a systematic way. So instead of one-off, you know, having a 15-minute conversation, and I felt like I just couldn't give them all the information they needed I created a course that is a self-directed online course that people can do, and then they have access to me once a month through office hours, I call them. And so they can come in, get coached, whether it's an actual tangible issue, maybe we're working on their resume, or maybe it's more of a life coaching issue of they're getting hung up about an interview or they are feeling insecure about being rejected, and we coach on those kinds of things. I've had so much fun doing this podcast the last year. I've been bringing on physicians who've done unique things in their personal life, in their professional life, and I've just been amazed at how many physicians really have focused their career on trying to help other physicians get ahead. I think this is just a wonderful career path that we've all chosen. And I love that we tend to try to help each other. It's really true. This world that I've, you know, learned about through doing this, I mean, there are so many physicians out there who recognize that there's an issue or a problem to be solved and they want to help their fellow physicians. And so they build something to help solve those problems. I love that. Now, how would someone get in touch with you if they want to learn more about the pharmaceutical industry or sign up for coaching with you? Sure. So my website is industrymdcoach.com. Okay. And lots of free information there. You know, even if you're not ready to be coached, I publish a blog once a week, lots of podcasts like this that I've put on the website. So you can go there. You can email me at industrymdcoach at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Facebook, Industry MD Coach. Narissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I just think your information has been so helpful. And I think you'll probably reach multiple people through this podcast that have kind of been thinking about a career choice. So thanks so much, or a career change. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And thank you for your podcast because you're helping physicians as well. <laughs> I hope so. That's the goal. <laughs> well, thank you all for tuning in. And I hope you'll join me again next week for Grand Rounds.